Humans have been using various plant medicines together as blends for as long as there has been medicine. A root of this, a twig of that, a mushroom, maybe add some heat, and we found that we started to heal. Over millennia, we refined our process and got more adept at interacting with the natural world. In the modern day, even people who don't consider themselves herbalists are becoming quite adept at blending plant and other medicines together to feel better. So many of my friends are using smoked cannabis, oral CBD oil, microdosing mushrooms, and have an essential oil diffuser in their house. Gang, gang, we often heal in similar ways. If you want to learn about cannabis health, business, and technique efficiently and with good cheer, I encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter. We'll send you new podcast episodes as they come out, delivered right to your inbox, along with commentary on a couple of the most important news items from the week and videos too. Don't rely on social media to let you know when a new episode is published. Sign up for the updates to make sure you don't miss an episode. Also, we're giving away very cool prizes to folks who are signed up to receive the newsletter. There's nothing else you need to do to win except receive that newsletter. So go to shapingfire.com to sign up for the newsletter this week and be entered into this month's and all future newsletter prize drawings. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I'm your host, Shango Los. Today's episode is different from anything I've offered before. I was recently invited to San Francisco to moderate a private panel recording on synergistic medicine. The panel was entitled Cannabis, Mushrooms, and Terpenes for Optimum Health, and it was produced by Cookies. I did not choose the panelists or the topic, but Cookies reached out because they love shaping fire, and I was happy to go to the Bay Area to participate. When we were done recording, I ended up driving the Pacific Coast Highway down to Southern California alone for a few days, too. It was a pretty nice break from quarantine here on Vashon Island and allowed me to travel while interacting with less than 15 people the entire week. That drive along the PCH never fails to be spectacular. So the episode today is the audio from that panel recording. I asked Cookies if I could publish it as a Shaping Fire episode because the insights expressed by these speakers is exceptional, and there's a lot to learn in it. Because there were multiple mics used at various locations and online, and some of us were even outside to be COVID safe, some of the sound quality is variable. All in all, it sounds good though, so don't let the audio of my speaker introductions get you down. It gets better really fast. So I hope you enjoy this departure from the regular show format and the great info on blending synergistic natural medicines. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's roundtable discussion brought to you by Cookies. Um, our topic for today is cannabis, mushrooms, and terpenes for optimum health. I am your moderator for today's discussion, Shango Los. If you enjoy meaningful interviews with the top minds in cannabis cultivation, solventless extraction, and cannabis medicine, I invite you to check out my podcast at Shaping Fire at shapingfire.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We have an impressive and eclectic panel today to talk about synergistic medicine. In the modern era, people are encouraged to take medical advice only from doctors, and the advice patients are usually given by most doctors is to take pharmaceutical company blends of single components rendered from the plants and other naturally occurring life. These are often what's called for, but not always. Today's discussion will focus on cannabis, mushrooms, and terpenes, and how modern formulators, healers, and citizen scientists navigate the interplay between them. So let's get to know our speakers. So because of the present pandemic, um, two of our speakers will be joining us by video feed, which you probably already figured out. 
So we'll start there via video link from Vashon Island, Washington. Uh, Dr. Ethan Russo is a world-renowned neurologist and cannabis researcher. He is author of several books of cannabis medicine and has published over 30 articles in neurology, pain management, cannabis, and ethnobotany. He is presently founder of Credo Science. Also via video link from Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada, is Jeff Chilton. Jeff has pioneered the development and manufacture of organic mushroom extracts since 1973. He received a fellowship to the Dutch School for Mushroom Growers. Jeff co-authored and published the classic best-selling book on small-scale mushroom cultivation, The Mushroom Cultivator. He is currently founder of Namex Organic Mushroom Extracts. So here on the set with me, we've got Tony Verzura. Uh, Tony founded Blue River Terpenes and Extracts and is a visionary on the extraction and use of terpenes. Most recently, Tony has founded Advesa, a licensed cannabis processor in California, developing groundbreaking solventless extraction technology. Tony developed these companies as a mechanism to reach his extraordinary goals as a formulator of modern cannabinoid blends. And across from me is Burner. Uh, Burner is a rapper, songwriter, and entrepreneur. He is founder and CEO of Cookies, one of the most influential lifestyle brands in cannabis. Burner uses his success and influence to work with others to bring reliable access to emerging medicines for minority neighborhoods that are often left out of breakthroughs in healthcare. So welcome to all of you. Thank you so much for being here. And so let's get right into it. So uh, since we're going to be focusing on blended medicines with synergistic components today, let's start by establishing their efficacy in history. So Dr. Russo, we're going to start with you. I know you have studied indigenous and tribal medicines your whole life and have spent a good amount of time in Peru working with indigenous people there. Is there a good basis to believe that humans have combining different plant medicines for thousands of years? Absolutely. Uh, certainly among the Machiganga and all the tribes in uh, Amazonia, it's common to mix things, particularly the ayahuasca admixtures. Uh, you necessarily have to have at least two components. Uh, you have to get the uh, harmaline alkaloids uh, from the Banisteriopsis vine uh, and the dimethyltryptamine from psychotria leaves or, or other donors. There are hundreds of plants in the Amazon that have dimethyltryptamine. Um, and there are many other complex mixtures that they employ. The prototypes that are probably most familiar to people, though, are uh, traditional Chinese medicine, where you might have uh, several components that uh, attack the problem itself, uh, but there, there are a multitude of other components that might deal with the side effects from the main components. Uh, so mixtures of the norm as opposed to simples, meaning one ingredient. Um, additionally, on uh, Western tradition, among the Greeks, there were theriacas, which were often, again, complex mixtures. And you see this, again, through uh, Arabic medicine. Uh, some of those included uh, cannabis, for example. And then coming up to modern times, let's take a complex problem like cancer. It usually is not sufficient to attack one aspect of the cancer. Rather, you have to uh, attack multiple areas of weakness uh, so that you get a good uh, tumor kill at the beginning. So for particularly for something like uh, leukemia, people get a cocktail of medicines. Um, and then uh, 
we have the example of cannabis, which is a cocktail of medicines in one plant uh, between the cannabinoids and terpenoids and potentially other components like the flavonoids. But it absolutely makes sense to combine cannabis with other herbal agents. Um, and the beauty of it is that our bodies are really uh, equal to the task. They're used to dealing with these complex mixtures because a lot of these things uh, would be components of our foods. Um, so it, uh, it's very much the norm as opposed to uh, Western medicine where they might identify a target in a receptor and computer design a molecule to fit there with the highest affinity um, and highest potency, but that doesn't mean it won't be toxic. Uh, with these natural products, although there can be things that are toxic and too high a dose or even low doses, for the most part, our bodies are capable of uh, metabolizing them and uh, there's usually very little harm attached. That's great. So, so Jeff, um, so I know that you have researched both the, the history of Chinese medicines as well as interacted with the indigenous folk in China to learn them firsthand. So you've probably seen these ancient mushroom blends that come out of China too. Why does Chinese medicine blend mushrooms? Well, you know, I, I think... Um Dr. Russo was correct. I mean, there's there's so many different aspects to putting these different formulas together. And and traditional Chinese medicine, I mean, it's the perfect example for that. I mean, that's what it's kind of based on. They will the uh, the traditional Chinese doctor will will prescribe, he'll he'll diagnose, he will prescribe different herbs that he believes will will address the particular illness that uh, is present. Um, regarding mushrooms, you know, they've been used for thousands of years there. The, there's one mushroom in particular, Poriococos, which is a, a, a diuretic. And one of the other things that, that we've found, too, and what researchers have found is that different mushrooms will have effects on different tumor systems. So, so let's just say you you wanted to either um, prescribe one for as an adjunct to a certain uh, a tumor, you could do that. Or, in fact, you could put them together into one particular formula, and that would work in, in different ways on, on that particular uh, illness that somebody has in terms of cancer. So there are definitely reasons that you can blend these together. And, and uh, certainly when it comes to triterpenoids, which is something that we're really looking at, uh, there are over 130 triterpenoids in reishi mushroom, and they found that specific ones will have specific activities. So that's something too that, that is pretty interesting in what you're talking about. I totally agree that that is an interesting aspect. In fact, um, when we talked um, last time, um, I was actually surprised to find out that mushrooms had terpenes as a primarily uh, you know, cannabis enthusiast. Of course, I've talked about and, and done my research in true terpenes. By the time the mushrooms get to me, or at least the mushrooms that I usually participate in, they kind of they just kind of don't seem to have all that much smell. But then when you smell one that is fresh, you're like, oh, this is an entirely different experience. Um, okay. Indeed. And, and just to be clear, not every every uh, single species will have triterpenoids. There's a couple of species in particular that are famous for that. One would be Ganoderma, the reishi mushroom. And the other would be chaga and, and reishi's really 
packed with these triterpenoids and, and that's what gives it its bitter flavor. But a lot of the mushrooms do not have those compounds. So now that we've kind of talked about um, how blends have been made throughout human history and we realize that actually blending uh, medicinal properties together is is more the expectation rather than separating them out and isolating them let's talk a little bit about um what people do when they blend them so tony i'm coming over to you as a professional formulator and healer what attributes do you look for when designing a healing blend or formulation from different components i subscribe to um both what they're talking about when it when you look at eastern versus western and i think really i think the difference becomes uh in the pharma pharmaceutical world they're really keying on like on a compound an active ingredient and many oftentimes they're uh, creating a synthetic version of that so if we look at like what the fda and what the world is approving in actual medicine when we look at that um, they're looking at an active compound or one singular type of molecule that they're isolating and they're utilizing that, you know, to go through their research. And like you guys were talking about, they're, you're kind of addressing one issue, but then you might actually have a side effect to another issue. And so when you're looking at um, synergistic properties of uh, herb, all herbal medicine and, and you look at what's called grass approved, um, that's what Ethan kind of was talking about. And these things are made in earth, they're made naturally. And so when you put them into your body, we're also from the earth. And so if we put things into our body that is, uh, you know, synthetically made, it doesn't, it leaves a footprint, right? And even it's like plaque. So if we were to, you know, start printing 3D cannabis, you know, it's like, oh, well, we know what's in cannabis. We got the cannabinoids, the terpenes, the flavonoids. Um, we put a, com a computer together and we start printing that herb. You're never gonna ever, ever capture all of those compounds that are naturally produced on earth and as we put those things into our body then it leaves footprints and then we don't have a sustainable um, and a very synergistic type of approach to what we're doing as a medicine and so i think when you look at the world of healers and the world of uh, pharmaceutical uh, compoundists they have a completely different approach and so there's a chemist and there's an alchemist and so i don't really subscribe to um, and i think there is a place for chemistry, and I think it, it has a wonderful place in the science world. But for me personally, um, I'm trying to like figure out a way to naturally capture what's available in the plant and remove impurities that we that are maybe in the plant that we don't want to particularly have. And so that way we can actually do what the Western world is trying to accomplish, but in a plant-based effectiveness. And so if I look at the plant of cannabis and burner gives me a particular type of strain, I'm going to look at the statistics of it, right? I'm going to look at the compounds and say, okay, this has THCA, CBGA, CBCA, um, you know, different kinds of actual available phytocannabinoids, and then look at the terpene profiles. And we're looking at, you know, upwards to 300 compounds. And in between that, there's also those other oils, like we were talking about the flavonoids, um, that also play into these oils. And so the ter terpenoids or terpenes that mainstream cannabis viewers see it, or even terps. Um, <laughs> that's where, it, you know, when I first started calling that, everyone was upset because it's terpenoids or terpenes. And I'm like, well, it's easy for the most people to understand them as terps, but those are really not just the aroma, uh, not just the flavor, but they're really the catalyst and the effect behind all of that. And our friend on the panel here inspired me, by the way, 
in Taming THC, I think it was 2007 when he wrote that. Um, you know, everything I've done has come from uh, those that came before me that laid the ideology down in front of us that said, hey, here's a concept. The human body can have an endocannabinoid deficiency. And that means that we're working off receptor base in our body. Our, our mind, our body, and our soul has a synergistic uh, spirit, if you will, we're here. And so how do we interact with those? And so we wanna be able to uh, target that receptor system as a formulator and try to pull out all the really good parts in uh, everything we're talking about to then overlay that um, similar to probably like how he makes music, right? Everyone thinks that you probably have four tracks. There's probably hundreds, hundreds of tracks to make sounds and have this whole thing come together. In the same way a beat or songs laid down, I look at it uh, the same way as how, how am I gonna take the worlds of uh, what's available in this cannabis plant, what's available in the mushrooms that he's talking about, and how do we create this overlay to create that synergistic natural compound and reaction that uh, we think is going to do X, Y, and Z, and it probably will do X, Y, and Z, but there's probably other beneficial things that's tapping into a different consciousness there. Wow, there's a lot of good stuff there. Um, the first thing for anybody who has not read it, I do recommend that you check out Dr. Russo's uh, Taming THC paper that Tony just referred to. Um, for many of us, it was the thing that opened our doors to terpenes and understanding how they interact with our endocannabinoid system. And um, it's old enough now that it's free online. So uh, you just want to search Taming THC and Dr. Ethan Russo and you'll find it. And um, it's, it's actually a very readable paper, even though it's also very legit science. The other thing that you said, Tony, that I want to follow up on is I like this elegant uh, delineation that you make between um, chemistry and alchemy. Whereas one, um, you're, you're trying to reduce things and spread them apart and break them apart. Whereas with alchemy, you're trying to bring essential essences together. And um, they sound like they could be very similar, but they're certainly different in intention. And, and then as we look at different extraction technologies and separation technologies like solventless, we also learned that um, uh, the the effect of the the final medicine is drastically different, right? Um, uh, is there? I can't I can't really imagine what would be a a rule of thumb, but I figured I'll ask you for it. Is there any any like a borderline or delineation that you come up against where you're like, oh, I'm I'm drifting from alchemy into chemistry, and that's not the direction I want to go. How how do you know if you're if you're thinking too chemistry minded? Well, I don't have a chemistry degree, so I don't I don't <laughs> I don't know how to use chemicals. So I guess that's uh, everyone you know gets to that roadblock. It's like I have no choice. You know, um, so I just don't, you know, I, I feel like I have counter partners in the industry that there's a few individuals out there that seem to be following in the same path that I am and where I'm at, where it's like, how do we, how do we break this thing down, uh, but retain what's there. And so I do feel there are people out there that use chemistry and from a molecular standpoint, um, we get into these debates all the time. So it's like, hey, if I've got this solventless THCA that tests 99% and someone says, well, I have this chemical THC that tests 99%, there's no residuals left, there's no uh, footprint left, is this the same thing? 
the answer is in short it is you know it is the same thing um but how we get there uh is is important i think and what's and and ultimately how we're utilizing that and what we're doing to get to that so does it have an environmental impact right and so that's something that i look at and a lot of people don't really understand so if i'm using a chemical to extract something from a plant what happens to that plant what's the what's left in that plant for that particular chemical is it reintroduced into earth or are we being able to capture everything from that actual plant and use everything in every part of it and i think that maybe is where you're going with this because alchemy is how do i use i think we kind of had a conversation once about this how do we how do we use everything from that flower without creating pollution or an environmental effect we want to break this apart but every part has a use right we don't want to just focus on hey i want this thc from this cannabis plant and, uh, let's throw the rest away and if i used ethanol or i used butane or something like that now we've kind of created the next problem which comes back to like this medicine so what is it what does it take to make that synthetic opioid in the process of making that just to make that particular pill or that fentanyl right so they they've done a great job making a synthetic but then what did they do in the process of making that and what kind of environmental impact so i think it doesn't just come down to a chemical versus mechanical it comes down to a consciousness of what you're what you're making and then how do we make both the impact on the human and on us on this planet or no cool thanks for breaking that out so burner um, you've spent a lot of time with what I'll call citizen scientists, right? People who may or may not have the degrees, but they are experimenting um, with good intention to um, make either medicinal or recreational. And, you know, that's a pretty blurry line, too. But but you work a lot with citizen scientists, cannabis breeders and psychonauts, too, who experiment with the body by ingesting, you know, all sorts of things and substances. Right. What do you and other citizen researchers look for when combining healing or recreational drugs i mean i think it's important for people to understand that even if they're going into a recreational store to buy cannabis and smoke it it's still a medicine i think that's the biggest message we try to get across is that this is something that helps in so many different ways so as you may be smoking weed and a lot of people a lot of friends i've met or a lot of people that that i've hung out with along the way they don't really realize that they're using it as a medicine to them they're just getting high they're kind of healing their pain they're enjoying the taste but so much of that that um, that plant medicine is important for a lot of us. It, it unifies people, it brings people together, and furthermore, it helps a lot more than some of the pharmaceutical uh, medicines out there. So, you know, I think I think it's pretty interesting because we have a voice and a platform to educate um, that this is a medicine, and that's why, you know, I was in the Proposition 215 days, and you know, I've been doing this legally since I was 18. I've personally saw firsthand off-duty cops coming in and buying cannabis and lawyers and teachers and it made me really realize that you know when it went wreck that we shouldn't lose that we shouldn't lose that message that this is a medicine and you know where i where i grew up working at there was a, a lounge there so essentially people would be able to come in and buy their herb and they'd be able to blaze and just that that releasing of the mental ag uh, anguish so if someone was coming from the va and they've had a really bad time and they just wanted to come in there not just the medicine but the way that people bond around the herb is, is super, super healthy, is good for the mind, it's good for people in general. So, you know, I've, I feel like the people I'm around and the people I'm trying to educate is that no matter if it's recreational or not, no matter if you enjoy smoking butter or not, it still is a medicine. Whether it's helping you with anxiety, uh, depression, you're celebrating, you're mourning, you're helping with your appetite. 
um, I think that it's important to kind of get that message across that this is still a medicine, whether it be recreational or not. Yeah, I think that's a good point. A lot of us don't even realize sometimes that we're, we are taking it for medicinal reasons, even though in our head we're doing it for recreational, right? Well, yeah, you, you, know. may, you may think that you're smoking herb because you like the way it tastes and, you know, it puts a smile on your face, but there you go. It puts a smile on your face and, yeah. you know, happiness is everything, especially during COVID and what's going on in the world right now. We need more smiles. We need more good vibes and good energy, more unity. People need to love people more. And that's just kind of what we do, why we do what we do. I mean, heck, if at its very basis, being in a good mood and being joyful boosts our immune system. And sure. so if, if um, you know, using cannabis can help get us there, well, well, let's go for it, right? Absolutely. The price of peace of mind, right? That's medicine. Um, and a quick story, I was in Colorado once and I was in the medical world and it turned into the wreck. And you said it was kind of a gray line and I was, I was really down because I spent a lot of time there. I spent a lot of time with patients and trying to help people. And I too was behind the bar every single day, if you will, and, and getting to know people. And I saw people coming in and we helped a lot of people. When it went to recreational, I kind of got down and I actually came out to the Bay Area and I always looked up to you and, and what you guys were doing. And you, he started with you know one, one spot. And I came out here, I was like, oh man, Cookies is still keeping it real. They're still with the people and the patients. And so I left that that whole entire industry for nothing behind me because it was an adult use. And I was thinking, I had that chip on my shoulder, it was recreational, you know? And then it just had that awakening. I'm in the Bay and the community here and the people uh, that were behind it, it has something, you know? It, it's not just the plant, it's how it brings people together and then how we take care of each other and there's a certain uh, community that comes behind it. And so I started to have a much different approach to it and realized exactly what, what Berner's saying is that I don't even like the word anymore recreational. It's just responsible adult use yeah. and now it's full access for anyone that's 21 and up. Now we don't have to have an excuse to say, you need to go see a doctor before we can come talk to you about getting whatever herb makes you feel good. Cause it is an herb and it is a medicine, so. Well, if you look at the diversity of this conversation right here, we all have different, we all come from different walks of life, but we're united on this conversation. I probably wouldn't be speaking to you if it wasn't for cannabis, vice versa. These gentlemen are super educated and been doing this for a long time, but we're all coming together in this conversation because of cannabis, and that's why I still do it. If there is this this sometimes not so subtle mindset uh, from the from the medical days, where a lot of people honestly were kind of sketched about going into some of those stores, but once you were inside, it was a very loving, homey, huggy, yeah. good environment, right? And then nowadays, um, uh, the adult use stores are very you know they've got a lot more money behind them, right? So they're they're very they're very shiny. And people are being programmed more for the recreational mindset by, um, by you know, media. Um, and yet they can still get a huge variety of, of quality flowers often. And so it's got a good existence as well. What do you see that may have uh, been lost in the transition from medical dispensaries, kind of more grungy lovey days to this cleaner, but maybe more commoditized environment that, that we might want to encourage to bring back. Yeah. So when, when you used to come into a medical dispensary, it was like cheers. It was like taxi cab <laughs> confessions. People would come in, you'd be able to show them the herb out the jar 
if they they could smell it they could pick it up it was way more personable you can get to know what they like you can recommend things i might even give someone a bong hit and let them taste it for their purchase so if you look at the way that we're doing cookies right now i encourage people to do this if you step into my store someone greets you right away and they have an ipad and they walk with you to the flower menu and they're kind of going through and talking to you about each and everything that you want to know about. They're educating you. They're giving their personal opinions. And from there, when that customer is done with that bud tender, then they go to get checked out. So point being is the personal experience, hands-on, you come to some of these flashy dispensaries, it's just a menu on the wall. And you kind of get in line and you kind of just put your order and you bounce. It's not as personable. You know, what we're doing with the cookie store is we kind of created a huddle. I believe a lot of good things happen in a huddle. So you got the flower table is round and people are sitting around that flower table. And just like this, I'm smelling something. You're seeing my reaction. I'm seeing your reaction. We may have a conversation. The personable experience with people working with people is still there. And that's what we're doing with our dispensaries. And so I encourage people, when you open a dispensary, keep the customer in mind. You know, like I said, you know, someone may be coming from the VA, they may be coming from the hospital, they might have a terrible day. You want to give them your full attention and kind of make it more personable, not so in and out, you know. And so that's why we chose the dispensary setup the way we do. We kind of keep that good personable um, interaction in place. I think it's very important. Yeah, I would say that because I've gone through that experience, right? And now that you say that, I do see that being the difference in what's going on in those stores. And now I see how you took that from the medical side because... Um, you're right. There are a lot of stores out there. They just got their counters. And and before, when it was medical, um, it was that cheers kind of thing. But I can tell you that being behind the bar at times where it was just a couple registers and you wanted to wrap with someone and talk to them, everyone else had to wait. And that actually wasn't the most efficient way to help someone. Yeah. But now looking at thinking about what you just said, and you're right, because I came into the store and I'm like, oh, this is kind of neat because this person did come with me. And I'm like, I don't know what flowers I need to come. I came in with my wife, right? And she loves all the cookies flowers. She's like, oh, she's very particular. She wants to smell everything. She wants to know about everything. She wants to know everything there is. And I realized that that first experience was like, oh, this is very personal in the sense that we had someone that catered to us and we were looking at everything and they, didn't, they weren't transactional. They weren't there for the transaction. No. They were there for, for the education. And then it was like, okay, then you get in line. So I do think he's got the right vibe there and the right mentality in the sense that that's how the store looks amazing. And you're right. It is, it's got a lot more bells and whistles behind it. And there's a lot more uh, products there. But, you know, there's, there's that touch. And for, for us, I have a duality, right? So a lot of people know me as, as Blue River. And I look at that as my, you know, top shelf uh extracts that it's like how far can i push the world in the boundaries of solventless to me that was always like my the products that we'd inhale it was my my push for what can i do in the adult use world and then everyone that says to me oh well that product's so expensive i'm a patient blah 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 that's where the this other product line that i created with invasive wellness was capsules sublinguals topicals you know creating cbn and these different things because i'm like well if you're really hurting and you want something affordable let's switch you over to a different delivery method with a different price point. And they do carry both wide ranges of these products. So I think that, you know, if you're opening a dispensary, it's not just about the flowers or the extracts, but make sure you also still carry 
the medicinal products too, because there are people that are looking for them. For Amen. Sure. Amen. Um, you know, I hadn't thought about that, about how the cookie stores are designed. I experienced that at your at the cookies uh, geodesic dome at Emerald Cup last year. Um, I just generally liked how you go in one side and out the other side, but inside there's all these like little kiosks where people can mill around and learn and ask questions. And that was pretty cool. They create a conversation. You, yeah. when, you know, people that like herbs or like to smoke, they want to, they want to understand other people's experiences. And that conversation is priceless. That's in, in two fifteen days. That's what we you know. That's what I loved about my job is yeah. talking to people, even the jar. If you see the jars that we designed, it's so you can pick it up. You can look at it. You can twist it. You can smell it. It's, even though you can't do a deli style at a big jar anymore, we created a jar custom for our store so people actually see what they're, they can actually see it clearly. They can smell it. They can still be hands-on a little bit, you know? Clutch. Yeah, totally. When I saw that, I, I really missed the days of the mason jars and sticking your nose in it. And we're probably away from those days forever. But um, we got to be creative about new ways for people to be able to shop with their nose again. Well, you, and real quick, you remember that. Like, I used to open those big jars. We'd shake them up and kind of like... So if you think about what that just did was that I don't want to sell the product from that jar that I've opened all day long. With all the broken trichomes. With all the broken trichomes, yeah. especially what's going on right now. It's like, you want to get your, like, look at the sample, but let me buy something brand new and sealed. Yeah. And so that's also another really good touch that you guys do that yeah. I think is different. Thank you. We're going to take a short break and be right back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. Sometimes the topics I want to share with you are far too brief for an entire Shaping Fire episode. In those instances, I post them to Instagram. I invite you to follow my two Instagram profiles and participate online. The Shaping Fire Instagram has follow-up posts to Shaping Fire episodes, growing and processing best practices, product trials, and, of course, gorgeous flower photos. The Shango Los Instagram follows my travels on cannabis garden tours, my successes and failures in my own garden, insights and best practices from personal grows everywhere, and always gorgeous flower photos. On both profiles, the emphasis is on sharing what I've learned in a way that you can replicate it in your own garden, your own hash lab, or for your own cannabinopathic health. So I encourage you to follow at Shaping Fire and at Shango Los and join our online community on Instagram. If you listen to Shaping Fire and you grow your own cannabis, chances are high that you are very particular about the inputs you use for growing. People like us painstakingly self-educate on cannabis nutrients and techniques so we can cultivate the best tasting and cleanest flowers possible. And when we go to purchase those nutrients, we want to be sure that our supplier shares our values and is providing exceptional quality. This is why I recommend buildasoil.com to my friends who care about quality. Build a Soil empowers organic growers to do their best work by sourcing and shipping only the finest cannabis growing supplies. From organic inputs, soils, soil testing and pots, to lights, growing tents, sprayers, and cover crops, Build a Soil founder Jeremy Silva doesn't just stock his store with what's available. He goes deep to personally vet each product for quality and determine that there isn't a better version of the product that he could be selling. Because of this arduous process, you know that your options on buildasoil.com have been carefully curated to create the results you are looking for. Not only that, but the Build a Soil way is a philosophy that will permeate your interaction with the company. 
From website design to pricing and shipping to after-purchase support, Jeremy and his team always strive to do their best and give you the best customer service in the business. Check out buildasoil.com today for top-tier quality cultivation supplies and a friends and family buying experience. And check out their educational videos and extraordinary social media while you're there too. Quality organic growing supplies at buildasoil.com. One of the reasons why no-till cannabis growing is so valued by farmers is because the mycelium networks in the soil remain established from year to year. And we know these fungal networks are essential because they are the nutrient superhighways that extend far and wide in the substrate to feed your plants. The trouble with growing in new soils or blended cocoa substrates is that it takes most of the plant's life just to create these mycelium highways. Dynamico endomycorrhizal fungi inoculant reduces that time and gets your plant eating a wider array of nutrients faster. And it's three times the concentration of the current leading brand in the U.S. at 900 propagules per gram of two fungal species selected specifically for cannabis cultivation. This new product called Dynamico is the result of 30 years of research and trials at the Volcani Agriculture Research Institute in Israel. It has also been vigorously trialed by cannabis and food growers across the U.S. since the product first arrived here last year. You may have already even heard about Dynamico by its original name, Dynamike. Now, Dynamico is available at grow shops and online in the United States for the first time. I love using Dynamico to both speed up the growth of mycelium networks in the soil, but also as a biostimulant to make clone cuttings more virile. You can see side-by-sides showing the comparative growth on their Instagram at Dynamico. If you demand reliable growing results and appreciate the importance of an active root zone in creating a thriving plant, I encourage you to check out Dynamico at dynamico.com and find out where you can get yours. That's D-Y-N-O-M-Y-C-O dot com. Whether you are starting with new beds or pots, or if you want to add some zing to tired soil, choose Dynamico to maximize your plant's potential. Dynamico Endomycorrhizal Inoculant. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I'm your host, Shango Lose. And our guests this week are Dr. Ethan Russo, Tony Verzura, Jeff Childen, and Berner. Let's return to the panel discussion now. So, Jeff, the medicinal and psychedelic mushrooms are becoming increasingly popular in the U.S. and throughout the world, right? Um, and you can buy tincture and concoctions like nearly everywhere, including like some gas stations even, right? It's so strange to see medicinal non-psychedelic mushrooms at a gas station. Because of that, there's a wide variety of qualities and price points of medicinal mushrooms now, uh, even though we know that they've got varying amounts of medicinal qualities to them. What attributes do we want our medicinal non-psychedelic mushrooms to exhibit so we know they will be potent and have a positive effect on our lives? Well, well, you know, one of the biggest issues in the in this category right now is the fact that a lot of the products out there are not actually even mushroom. And, and you know, this speaks to to you know, you know, like with with uh, cannabis, for example, there are multiple parts of this plant. So you've got the roots, you've got the leaves, you've got the flowers, and each one of those is going to have a certain chemical profile. Now, it's no different with mushrooms, and, and what we call a mushroom is actually a fungal organism that's got what I would call three plant parts. Mushrooms don't have seeds, 
So how do you grow a mushroom? Well, uh, mushrooms have spores. The spores will germinate into a fine filament called a hypha. Those hypha come together and produce what's called a mycelium. This is the actual body of this organism. Um, when conditions are right, it will produce a mushroom. And then that mushroom will, will uh, grow up, mature. It'll produce spores. We've got a completion of the life cycle. So we've got three plant parts. We've got spore. We've got mycelium, and we've got mushroom. Now, the mushroom is what's traditionally been used as medicine, and the mushroom's very complex on what it can actually produce. But there are actually products out there where they grow the mycelium, but they grow it on a sterilized grain in a laboratory. And at the end of the process, once the grain has been covered with the mycelium, they will actually... Uh, dry it, grind it to a powder grain and all, and sell it as mushroom. So th this is one of the key issues out there. Again, it gets back to, would somebody want to be selling a cannabis product and they're just grinding up leaves and saying, hey, here I've got these great joints of, of pot. <laughs> and it's like, well, no, no, of course not. I mean, that's something maybe in the, in the 60s we might come across, right? Somebody would say, hey, I got this great pot. It's like, oh, yeah, huh, tastes pretty bad. What is this really, right? Well, that's what's going on right now in the medicinal mushroom uh, category. There are products out there that are not mushroom, yet they're being sold as mushroom. They are mostly starch. So, and, and you know, one of the things I'd like to stress here, too, is that what I love, and I'm sure you guys do too, and that is analysis. I mean, that's one of the things that cannabis is really built on is analyzing. And, and this was something in the mushroom category that was non-existent uh, five years ago, where maybe they would be measuring what, what are called polysaccharides, um, when in fact, polysaccharides can also be the starches. And these products that are, that are manufactured on this grain well, grain is a polysaccharide. We have tests for beta-glucans that can demonstrate that we've got the compounds in there that are actually important. Those are the compounds that provide the medicinal benefits, the immunological benefits. These myceliated grain products are mostly starch with very low amounts of beta-glucans. If you know what tempeh is, that's actually what's being ground up to a powder and sold as mushroom. And if you hear people out there touting mycelium, um, basically, they're not uh, mycelium is good on its own, not quite as good as the mushroom, but it's it's um, it's sometimes spoken about or or being sold, but it's on this grain as a carrier. So for us, that's the key thing that you have to look for when you're out there looking for a, a mushroom product and, and primarily look and see whether they're analyzing for the beta glucans because that's the important compound you, you want to see. If they say polysaccharides, well, forget it. It's probably one of these other products and maybe it'll have a really high number of, of polysaccharides, but that's because the product is mostly starch. So, so again, we love to analyze. We have about four different compounds that we analyze for every single lot that we produce. It'll be beta-glucans, alpha-glucans, ergosterol, ergothionine. We've got a profile. It's got to meet that profile. Then when you're talking about, let's for, let's, for example, triterpenoids, we've reached a point now where we can actually uh, analyze for up to 20 of these triterpenoids and get a, a much 
more robust profile. And this is kind of like the future of analysis for us when it comes to the reishi mushroom or, or chaga to where now we've got this amazing profile, much like you guys have this, these profiles of the cannabinoids. I mean, it's just a whole new universe for us in terms of as we move forward and being able to, to actually uh, have this type of profile for our reishi, for example. It seems to make it really clear that it doesn't matter really whether we're talking about cannabis or mushrooms or terpenes um there's there's so many people trying to do it different ways and so many of them are being motivated by the dollar that it's important to always do your homework to make sure that the products that you're blending together are good products to begin with and we are still at a point in this market where no matter what you're buying um you will be rewarded by doing your homework well, you know what? The fact of the matter is, is that operation has been us been with us since the beginning of commerce. I mean, it's just a fact of life out there. So it doesn't really matter what herbal product it is, for example. Uh, adulteration is out there and always will be. <clears throat> I was going to say something. It, it sounds like uh, in the world of, of cannabis versus... Uh, Mushrooms, it's interesting as he was describing that. We, and like from our side, you know, we, we, we see this as the trichomes develop as first little stalks and then they get that little mushroom head. You know, and from an extractor side, it's like, I'm, I can't even, I was like, I can't extract if I don't have the mushroom head, yeah. right? And I was like, so what he's, what he's basically saying in, our, in my kind of world is that he's saying that there's people out there that aren't even getting to the resin gland. They're just growing the little stalk. They're not even doing it on the plant. They're doing it on some other, they're like on a yeast. Like when you hear like, oh, someone's growing like THC on yeast. There's, it's like apples and oranges here. You know, it's like two different things. But it's interesting because he's got a big macro mushroom head, and we're looking for those little micro mushroom heads because that's where all the the, the nutrient dense base is. Um, and I also looked at your uh, testing when he was talking about the testing thing, which we're also big in the testing and providing a certificate of analysis. You guys have been like FDA approved since like 90 something, like 96 or something. Well, well, you know what? Nobody actually gets FDA approved in that sense. You know, certainly not in, in our industry. I mean, there's there's FDA laboratories that you could have things analyzed by. Um, and, and we no, I'm not uh, not FDA. I'm sorry. You're um certified organic since 19 oh yes i mean my company's been certified organic since 1993 i mean i totally believe in that i mean you were talking before about how something is produced our mushrooms are produced as naturally as possible and one of the key things about it is we produce them on natural substrates and most medicinal mushrooms for example grow on wood that's what we use to grow our mushrooms. It's like the wood is important. It's got the precursors necessary to produce those medicinal compounds. So, so again, you know, it, it is something where, and the whole, the whole process, I mean, when we're finished, that wood that the mushroom has been growing on, now that gets to be recycled onto uh, the fields as a, an adjuvant to the soil. In some cases, they dry out that uh, wood block that the my mushroom has come off of and they use it as fuel. There's just, uh, you know, there's very little uh, waste in that. And not only that, mushrooms generally are growing on agricultural waste products. They're an amazing organism. I mean, can you imagine 
straw and sawdust and everything else that's out there after growing all of the foods that we eat or the, the, the timber that we're using. I mean, what do you do with all that material? Well, you know, feed it to the, the mushroom. It will love you for it. It will produce you a good food or a good medicine. So, so for us, and, and you know, this is it. The mushroom is an organism, this fungal organism. It repurposes organic matter. So that's part of what it's doing out there in the environment. All of that, the leaves, the perennial uh, 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 annual plants that grow up and die every year, the wood that falls down, repurposing it into humus. So let's move on a little bit. Uh, so Ethan, uh, terpenes like mushrooms are also vastly increasing in popularity. And of course, a great deal of the credit for uh, people's interest in terpenes goes to your milestone paper that we've already talked about. Um, humans have been using terpenes for healing and romance for ages. Um, what, what are the different ways that we can consume terpenes and what is the mode they use to influence our human functioning? Sure. Well, let's start at the beginning. Uh, so uh, terpenoids come in different flavors uh, that relate to the number of carbon atoms. Uh, in cannabis, we're usually talking about monoterpenoids with 10 carbons, sesquiterpenoids with 15. There's a single uh, diterpenoid, uh, which is phytol. It's only present after drying. And then there are triterpenoids, but only in the roots. So that's something that cannabis roots and the uh, medicinal mushrooms have in common. Uh, the monoterpenoids and sesquiterpenoids are what give cannabis its its specific aroma. People may be surprised to learn that the cannabinoids themselves are odorless. You could have a, a bucket full of uh, pure THC and there'd be no aroma to it. Um, but what they are really doing is synergizing with the cannabinoids uh, and modulating their effects. Uh, and this can come in different flavors, but mainly we think in terms of modulating the psychoactivity. Uh, THC, when there's too much of it, produces anxiety rather than alleviating it, but that can be modified by other components. Um, historically, both uh, pinene from pine nuts and uh, limonene from uh, lemons or other citrus uh, were noticed to be good for people who had overindulged with hashish or whatever it was. Uh, and then there are agents like linalool, which we don't see as much of uh, as we should have in most uh, chemovars, chemical varieties of cannabis. And it's a very powerful um, anti-anxiety agent without being overtly sedating. Uh, so these are just a few examples, but uh, additionally, synergy includes the ability to contribute to the therapeutic effect. Uh, an example there is caryophylline, uh, which works on what's called the CB2 receptor. That's the non-psychoactive receptor that also is a pain reliever, an analgesic receptor, and anti-inflammatory. Uh, so having a lot of caryophylline will contribute to its ability to treat pain or inflammation without adding to the high, uh, which often isn't necessary because there's plenty of THC around. Mm. 
So Ethan, while we have you and while we have the audience's attention, I would like to uh, give you the platform to speak on one of my favorite topics that you'd speak on, which is, you know, so much of the consumer market is trying to get the most bang for their buck. And so they go and they are shopping for the highest percentage of terpene that a laboratory will will say they have, right? And um, that, what? THC. Yeah, THC. Yeah, so right. would you explain how, um, as far as the experience goes, um, the, the higher the THC, it's it means a lower terpene profile, and how we want to get that more into balance? Yeah, well, it, it may, uh, particularly with concentrates. When we're talking about vape pens, you'll often see that there could be as much as 90% THC or mixed cannabinoids and leaves very little room for the terpenoids. Uh, one of the problems that we're seeing is a lot of the CO2 extraction, which is very clean, is done in a way that it really squanders the terpenoid content. Um, and so it resembles nothing like the fresh flower from which it was derived. Uh, and this is really a shame. I would advocate to people that the number on the THC is not really that important. You can always get more by an additional inhalation uh, or a little bit more orally. But what you really are looking for is the effect. And I think what bud tenders should be asking uh, consumers is, what are you trying to do with this? Not how high do you want to be? Uh, you know, are they doing this to treat anxiety? Are they doing this because they need to clean the garage and cut the boredom? Uh, whatever it is, there is a terpenoid profile that's going to enhance the experience. And I really would underline that word enhance uh, three times because that is really what it's about. I think this message that just smoking as much THC as we can without understanding that terpenes sculpt the high is one of the most important consumer messages that we as a group of folks trying to produce medicine and educate people can say. So thanks for weighing in on that. I would love to jump in if that's Please. cool. Yeah, so you know, when, when Nevada first opened up and Washington first opened up, people were coming in and buying strictly on the THC. And some of the best herb I've ever smoked might be 16, 17% THC, but the terpings and the cannabinoids and everything else in it make it so much better. And so I, you know, urging everyone else that's watching this, just like you said, there's so much more that goes into some good herb that will do a lot more for your body than the THC. You know, me and my friends joke about it's the guy that wants to go get the thickest burger. It may not be the best. It's kind of dry. It's, it's big. You know, what are you looking to get? Do you want a tasty burger? Do you want to enjoy your... So THC, uh, you know, people shopping for just the THC numbers, it's just not the best idea. There's so much more that goes into a plant that makes it special and that helps your body and makes you enjoy that smoke than just the THC. I've never been a, let me get a 30% THC guy. You know, I'm, let me get the best smelling, the most euphoric, the best, you know, what the best looking for, for myself. You know, there's so much more that goes into it. So I'm glad you touched on that because... Big, yeah. I'd like to jump in on that too because there's a big misconception with that. Um, and I, I subscribe to exactly what both these guys are saying in the sense that somewhere along the line, the consumer has got it in their mind that the highest THC is the best bang for the buck. And this is, this is the latest thing in the last definitely couple of years. It's the worst thing because I just don't understand where it came from because ultimately our, bi our bio essay, like what we go to smell that, we want the consumer is like, you know, at least for me, 
for 20 years smoking cannabis it's what does it smell like what does it taste like and most importantly what's the effect on your body what is the effect that i'm looking for and so i can tell you from the extract side and i am a i'm a terpene hunter right i'm not so much about the terps and that's why i'm sitting here and that's why we do projects together because they're creating terpene flavors that are mimic things in life that we're used to that we're like familiar with and i think when you take the the brain and somebody's a consumer and like i smell something like this gelato or this cookie or this type of lemon cello you know it's like it's like a familiarity that like i have i smell this somewhere else i recognize this but it also has that cannabis you know smell too and then what's the effect and he nailed it about the different types of terpenes and ultimately um, this is where I kind of geek out with extracts when someone says, oh, the flan or the taroni, like I come up with uh, names that um, are are these like familiar to desserts based on their textures. But it's actually what I'm doing with my signature extracts is I'm modulating and it's because of him. Once I take a solventless extract, I'm like, am I am, once I'm able to get THC, a THC, the full spectrum, all of the terpenes and remove all the lipids and waxes and cellulose. And I can say to myself, well, now I'm gonna I'm gonna build a designer dab here for an effect. And so when I deal with rosin, that's to me a full spectrum effect, right? And then I do a taroni, and that's like cleaning it up a little bit, like he's talking about the burger. But I'm actually overlaying certain things to create a modulation effect. And the flan is the most most modulation effect. So I'm actually able to like look at something and target something. And most of our extracts you know, what we're known for is everyone's averaging extract is like three to 5%. But we've had this conversation before. I don't have to reintroduce anything if it's already in the plant. So there's a lot of times where we would do like uh, cookies extracts and someone's like, oh, that's 15 or 20% terpenes. It's like they didn't need a reintroduction if the terps are there. So, and that's your, that's what I always call the volume knob, you know? And so like we all watched, I'm sure these guys were familiar with Spinal Tap, right? I remember when I was a kid, I was like, those dudes got amps that go to 11, right? And so that's what we're trying to do. We're like, well, can I get it to 15? Can I, that's what I'm doing as a kid. I'm like, can I get this thing any louder? And it has nothing to do with the THC. We don't go to the bar and order Everclear. You get, yeah. you get a Chopin or a Hennessy or, you know, a nice um, bourbon or something. You're not saying, give me Everclear. I want to get, I want to get as drunk as possible. You get the drink you enjoy that tastes best and you know that's that's part of that's my opinion i think he also has a uh another paper out there maybe that you did once upon a time with another company i'm not really sure i thought it was you that um they had a study about just pure thc without terpenes and what that effect was and then we looked at i think then you know there's other papers about synthetic thc and how it relates to pain and just pure thc like he was saying doesn't have a smell doesn't have a flavor doesn't have a lot of medicinal effect it's only when you start adding these like nuances of terpenoids and you start building those profiles that we start to see a real medicinal effect from anything another great thing too it was uh when people start purchasing based on terpenes it's going to change the dynamic of the market because right now it's strange to think that consumers are buying cannabis based on 
what company could influence their local analytical lab to give them a higher percentage. And oh gosh, you know, we all know that that's a problem in the industry right now. Whereas I would much rather people are buying based on what companies are able to treat their flower well, not, um, not cause the terpenes to volatilize off and who's using good genetics to begin with. And I think that's where our emphasis should be instead of what lab we happen to use and what influence we have over them. So, so uh, moving on, we're going to come back to you, Tony. So, so you were just talking about the, the really high quality terpenes at good numbers that give a really great experience. We're going to talk about the other side now, right? Because since we're talking about quality, we should talk about um, what happens to lower quality terpenes. So when we're considering synergistic medicinal compounds, we have to be aware of how quickly terpenes degrade, right? And what are some of the causes to terpene degradation and what is left when a terpene degrades? Great question. So we touched upon, uh, Russo touched upon this a little earlier, monoterpenes and sesquiterpenes. And ultimately in the world of cannabis, this is live, fresh frozen, right? Uh, when the plant is alive, it's got a, a real high abundance of monoterpenes. I would say it's, it's probably got about 80% of the full profiles of monoterpene when it's alive and on the plant. And if you disagree, I have no problems you correcting me. Um, right. Um, so from, from my experience, when the plant's alive and it's cut down, if it's quickly frozen, we're going to have a lot of monoterpenes. If we were to cut that plant down and naturally dry it, traditionally dry it for smoking, we start to see that we go from lots of monoterpenes and they're volatile at room temperatures. So people that are curing their cannabis, they try to keep it around 60, 65 if they know what they're doing. They keep it at a certain humidity because they're like trying to preserve the flavor in it as they're trying to cure it. But let's say if you kind of got a little warmer or you let it dry, some people were sun drying it back in the day, um, you would start to see this monoterpene from it being alive to when it's completely dried and cured, it starts, it, you start to see less of that and more sesquiterpenes. So I actually started uh, in 2015 extracting fresh, frozen, live monoterpenes from flowers, and I did, uh, would extract terpenes and sesquiterpenes, and I saw a clearly different, uh, two different pathways. And for me, I, and we kind of educate people as well, we have different uh, vape carts that are dried and cured and more sesquiterpene based, and the ones that are live are gonna be more um, monoterpene. And one tastes very fresh like the plant, and those trichome heads are not oxidized and they're retained you know, at, at low temperatures the whole time. And so what ends up happening is that I think those that are traditional smokers tend to actually like the dried sesquiterpenes, right? Because if I've given, I've given 10 people out the live cart and I give people out the, the cure cart, if they didn't look at it, because it obviously looks different, they just did a blind test. They'd be like, if they're a smoker, they're gonna they're gonna hit that cart, and they're like, wow, that tastes just like just like the herb. The people that are desiring those uh, fresher monoterpenes are gonna be looking for like this totally different, real plant, live taste and feeling. However, they evaporate very quickly. So uh, those that are making uh, live extracts have a shelf life problem. Right, so when the, the product goes onto the uh, shelf and they have a live rosin and they say, hey, here's what it looked like and it looked cool in the picture, it can quickly dry up. And so what you end up happening, this could actually use to your advantage. And uh, back in the day, I would, I would be able to utilize monoterpenes for 
a recrystallization or, or a precipitation of CBD or THCA or different things to precipitate out from a base of all these other cannabinoids, hope, allowing the, the terpenes to evaporate. This was like kind of what I was doing a long time ago. And I don't do that anymore, but I learned that how do, like you said, how do we capture these beneficials in monoterpenes without letting them just fly off into the air? And so that is like where I started doing these like different extracts and flans and jellies and things where how do I, how do I break this apart and then utilize active THC and raw THCA and those terpenes and create almost a natural preservative within those actual extracts to hold and trap those together. And then obviously the next transition was, well, I need to be able to powderize this or put this into a suspension of a liquid and then be able to retain it as real medicine, which then gets into a capsule. And so I think that um, that is the biggest challenge is being able to capture those from the cannabis side. And what I really liked about with, with Jeff and what he was talking about and as I researched his company was the other group of terpenes, right? And so, and I learned something today, which uh, another chapter will open in my mind because of you. Uh, about the roots of cannabis and these mushrooms having the same terpenes. Thank you for that one, because I'm going to start making terpenes from roots. Um, because what I realize is that he's making a pure product. We're doing the same thing on our side. He's a 10 to 1 ratio, and he's being able to get these very heavy concentrations of that terpene concentration. We don't even know what that synergistic effect is yet. We start laying these cannabinoids on. We start laying these terpenoids on from cannabis and I'm able to preserve those, right? And I'm able to uh, uh, overlay them like we were talking about earlier with the terpenes that's coming from his mushrooms because he's using the purest form of it and he's getting the highest concentration. This is an unknown synergistic effect that excites me. All right. So, Berner, um, so you've worked extensively in the cannabis community to curate flowers that have an attractive aroma and desiring healing effects. What have you learned from consumers about what they actually look for in a terpene experience? They love the, like the fruity, fruity type smells. We we came out with cherry pie, sunset sherbet, gelato, biscotti. Um, you know, the the food kind of flavor profile, the sweet. <clears throat> the kind of sweet and gassy people love that um i i curate our menus and and encourage our breeders to go strictly for flavor we're not really hunting for the biggest yielding plant we're not really hunting for the most thc we're going for the most enjoyable smoke possible you know cannabis is now recreational it's 2020 2020 you want to be able to enjoy your smoke as much as possible. So what we look for and what I've seen people react to more, more than anything is the good smelling, the good tasting uh, flavors. We kind of we kind of got a hype around flavors. Exotics is what they call them. People are really into OG Kush. They're really into the hazes. They're into the train wrecks and stuff like that. But once we introduce this certain flavor profile that was sweet and very aromatic and would leave like a soap pissy smell in the air it became you know a huge huge hype and so i think that our customer base is looking for flavor over everything so i've got two follow-ups on that the first one is um in your experience um are are do people 
are they aware that there is terpenes, uh, that the terpenes are playing a role in what they like? And so they are buying with their nose and they're familiar with the vocabulary of terpenes? Or are most people all like, oh, this is the gelato. I smell the gelato. I like the gelato without ever actually thinking about terpenes. Yeah, I think there's a, not a lot of education around terpenes. Uh, you know, like they mentioned earlier, people are shopping for THC, but there's no denying that nose. You pop open that jar, and that's why we created the jar we, we, the way we did. Once you smell it, I mean, it's like when you smell some good home cooking. You know, you smell a restaurant walking down the street. Your nose doesn't lie. And I think that people are just shopping on based on what they're smelling and what they're seeing. And I think that, you know, hopefully after people watch this, they're educated on actually how big of a role terpenes play in cannabis. The second follow-up is, uh, you know, you've got a long breadth of experience with uh, curating for the public, right? And and as you're saying, the things that uh, people are most attracted to at this point in the market are um, uh, sweet-smelling, uh, food-reminiscent things that have got some gas to them, right? And and I agree. I like those as well. But I also like a lot of the uh, cultivars that we used to get that were rank, right? They smelled like baby du- diapers or rotting flesh or some of this really gross stuff. Yeah. That, But that when you s- taste it, you're all like, that gross thing is so delightful and the buzz is so wonderful. Do you think that with a consumer-driven market, we're going to lose those old, nasty, beautiful things? No, absolutely not, especially because I got a breeding project going on at my house right now, and I'm bringing all those old-school gases back, and that's why I named Cheetah Piss, Cheetah Piss, to kind of get the consumer away from looking for the, you know, um, you know, ice cream cake or the, you know, the fruit roll-up. Like, that's cool. That's cute. We've done that for a while. I'm bringing back the gas. So when I'm breeding myself personally, and this is the first time I've actually done my own breeding project instead of, you know, art directing a breeding project, I'm bringing straight gas back. And there's going to be a lot of baby diaper and, you know, uh, a lot of of burnt rubber kind of vibes. And, you know, as a piehead, you want to have a variety. You want to have a lot of different tastes. So my goal is to keep that alive and to educate, you know, our customers while I still got a good voice and platform that there's so much more out there than the fruity stuff. Some of these old school gases and the super skunks and the kind of musty, dirty sock smell, it's still good. Yeah. It's a very different high. You know, it may smell crazy, but when you smoke it, it's just, you're like, wow, that's that's gym socks. It tastes nuts. Like, you know, so I'm, I'm into bringing that back to life for sure. So, Ethan, uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, too. You know, um, as as thinking about the medicinal nature of uh, terpenes um, and people are often very attracted to these these sweet terpenes. um, Is there anything that you might have to add about the medicinal benefits of these these smells that we would normally consider gross? But as you develop a connoisseur's palate for cannabis, you actually find yourself very attracted to. Uh, Sure. I don't deny that that's the case. Um, You know, it really depends on the blend, the proportions of these different components. And the funny thing about terpenoids is a trace component uh, may really totally alter the smell. And with these complex mixtures, once there's more than three terpenoids, it's really hard for anyone, even experienced people, to really have an idea of what's in it. you know, I uh, use the comparison uh, if we blindfold somebody and put before their nose a lemon, a lime, and a grapefruit, um, everybody is going to be able to tell them apart. They all have limonene at their base, but it's the trace components that really make the difference in the both aromas and the flavors. 
And the same would be true about the effects, um, you know, the psychopharmacological effects. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, an art and a science. Um, I spend a lot of time looking at certificates of analysis. And, you know, I also want to know how, how are people affected by this? And they're generally, if you know what you're doing, they're good correlations. Um, so I think this really highlights that uh, one of the advantages of cannabis as a medicinal is that it really brings about the possibility of individualized medicine. You know, we really can tailor uh, the contents of the cannabis to what the person really needs. Uh, you know, what ails them on how do we help them with that through the right profile in, in cannabis. We're going to take a short break and be right back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. With the National Hemp Program in flux due to stringent THC testing requirements, brothers Seth and Eric Crawford continue to release seeds to hemp farmers that will be legal, no matter how you grow them or when you test them. These new varieties from Oregon CBD seeds have substantial amounts of CBDV, CBGV, CBCV, and THCV, while always staying below the 0.3% THC limit and guaranteeing compliant crops for farmers every time. Also, these new varieties cannot be pollinated by your neighbor's uncontrolled pollen or a rogue male in your own crop either. Oregon CBD seeds are non-GMO certified too. Oregon CBD Seeds was founded and funded in 2015 by Seth and Eric, maxing out their personal credit cards without outside investment. They continue to refuse outside investment that would change their company culture. Oregon CBD grows tons of fresh food on their research farms for local food banks, literally tons of food. They also give away tens of thousands of pounds of R&D flour to patients. As their company began to succeed, Seth and Eric started donating money to the cannabis medicine and hemp fiber cause too by giving millions of dollars to Oregon State University in order to establish the world's leading cannabis genomics research program. And they treat their employees right. Oregon CBD pays for full health and dental coverage for their employees, a 401k program, and their minimum starting wage is 20 bucks an hour. Plus, everyone shares food from the farms. Seth has been on Shaping Fire a few times to talk about novel cannabinoids. You can check out episodes 25 and 37 on CBD cultivars in the hemp market, episode 66 on triploid cannabis genetics, and the very first Shaping Fire Live, episode 47, with Seth and soil expert Jeff Lowenfels talking about autoflowers. If you are a hemp farmer and you want to grow reliable seeds that are sure to thrive and pass testing, check out OregonCBDSeeds.com to learn more about buying seeds for the 2021 season. That's OregonCBDSeeds.com. After you've caught up on the latest Shaping Fire episodes, do you sometimes wish there was more cannabis education available to learn? Well, we got you. Shaping Fire has a fabulous YouTube channel with content not found on the podcast. When I attend conventions to speak or moderate panels, I always record them and bring the content home for you to watch. The Shango Los YouTube channel has world-class speakers, including Zoe Sigmund's lecture, Understanding Your Endocannabinoid System, Kevin Jodry of Wonderland Nursery talking about breeding cannabis for the best terpene profile, Frenchie Cannoli's Lost Art of the Hashishan presentation, Nicholas Mahmood on regenerative and polyculture cannabis growing, Dr. Sunil Agarwal on the history of cannabis medicine around the world, Eric Vlosky and Josh Rutherford on solventless extraction, and Jeff Lowenfels on the soil food web. There are several presentations from Dr. Ethan Russo on terpenes and the endocannabinoid system too. 
While there, be sure to check out the three 10-part Shaping Fire Sessions series, one with Kevin Jodry, one with Dr. Ethan Russo, and one with Jeff Lowenfels. And even my own presentations on how to approach finding your dream job in cannabis and why we choose cannabis business, even though the risks are so high. As of today, there's over 200 videos that you can check out for free. So go to youtube.com forward slash Shango Lose or click on the link in the newsletter. As a business owner, you are incredibly busy. In reality, you are responsible for everything your company does. You've got so many responsibilities every single day that often you just don't have the time to really dig into your marketing as deeply as you'd like. You know there's more that you could do to reach out to new customers and encourage loyalty in the customers you already have, but you certainly don't have the time for it and you're not ready to hire somebody full-time for that role either. For you, I recommend Blunt Branding. At Blunt Branding, Kirsten Nelson and her team are focused on improving your bottom line. You know, most marketing firms are excited to make your logo, packaging, and website very pretty, but they leave responsibility for improving your bottom line up to you. They don't want that kind of responsibility, but that's pretty much the most important part of marketing, right? Kirsten and her team will help you engage new customers, funnel them to your point of sale, whether it be online or a storefront, and keep them coming back to you and telling their friends. Now, if you happen to be a new cannabis company or an established company moving from medical to adult use in your state, Kirsten especially can help you. Not only is she well-versed in marketing and finance, but she totally gets cannabis, whole plant medicine, terpenes, heritage farmers, and the particular needs of startups. Check out what she did recently for Moontime Medicinals and Humboldt at MoontimeMedicinals.com. Kirsten and her team put together a whole brand package for them, built their website, and wrote their sales materials. No doubt this is a paid commercial spot, but that does not mean they bought my opinion. I've worked with Blunt Branding on five projects now for various of their clients, and every single time they have done more than they have promised and over-delivered on results. I love how they generate new revenue and focus on that as the goal instead of just making a pretty logo. Similarly, every single friend I've referred them to has come back to thank me, and that just does not happen every day. Grab a pen and paper because the website address is coming up. If you want someone to implement marketing programs that feed your bottom line, give Blunt Branding a call. They will share proven techniques to increase your audience and generate sales while using cutting-edge technology solutions in the background that make all of this easy, automatic, and trackable. Go to shapingfire.com forward slash Blunt Branding to find out more. You can also click the link in our newsletter, Blunt Branding, marketing that makes you money. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I'm your host, Shango Lose. And our guests this week are Dr. Ethan Russo, Tony Verzura, Jeff Chilton, and Berner. Let's return to the panel discussion now. So one of the first alternative medicines people often turn to in their life is cannabis, but few folks understand the general action that cannabinoids, the active ingredient in cannabis, take. And I know that uh, an explanation of the endocannabinoid system could take hours because we've done that on the Shaping Fire podcast, right? But for today, can you distill it down and give us a summary of what cannabinoids are in the cannabis plant and how they generally interact with the human body? Sure. Well, it is a very complex issue, but we have this thing called an endocannabinoid system uh, within us. Uh, The endocannabinoid system is the master regulator of homeostasis. Homeostasis is a balance in function. Uh, Let's look at the brain. We have neurotransmitters, chemical messengers between nerve cells. Um, 
the endocannabinoid system regulates their release that it actually inhibits the release uh, so if it inhibits a stimulatory neurotransmitter, it damps down that signal. If it inhibits an inhibitory signal, it's magnifying the effect. Um, but there are more endocannabinoids, CB1 receptor, uh, receptor in the brain that have a greater density than that for all of the neurotransmitters put together. And so that's any aspect of brain function is influenced by the endocannabinoid system. But the same thing applies to digestion or any other functions of our body. Uh, so this really uh, gives the foundation for why cannabis as a medicine is so versatile for so many different conditions. It's not a panacea, but it is amazingly versatile in what it can do for many conditions where conventional medicine just doesn't quite do the job properly. Right on, thank you. So back to you, Tony. So Tony, everyone um, on this round table uh, is a proponent of whole plant and fungi medicine, meaning that the medicine should respect the structure that nature provides in it. Some folks get confused about what is and isn't whole plant. And unfortunately with um, the arrival of extracts and, and some of these, um, these, these newer products, people are been playing with the vocabulary to include their products when they often might not. Some folks get confused about this. So how should we think about the oils of a cannabis plant as whole, even though it's no longer a part of the entire plant? Another good question. <laughs> um, okay, so the way I look at this is, it's very interesting because when we talk about a uh, full spectrum oil, as an example, we have to think about how did we get to that, right? So we were talking, he was talking about CO2 earlier and CO2 itself is under a lot of pressure and it takes the buds themselves and it passes at very high PSI uh, from gas to liquid and it goes through the plant and it generally pulls a lot out of the plant. It's a clean process. I personally don't like this process because of a couple of things. It's not the process of the CO2, it's the post-processing. Because if we we're able to pull all of this raw extract out, and if you were to stay with raw CO2 and did nothing else, that's a different conversation. But you're gonna be pulling a lot of these lipids and plant fats and waxes, and honestly, a lot of heavy metals because of the way that extraction method works. Um, and so everyone tends to winterize or de-wax their full spectrum oil, right? And in the process of using ethanol is what they do is an eight to one. And so they just take that muck, they pour alcohol over it, and then they like turn it into a solution and they freeze it. And then they bind that alcohol to the fats and then they pour everything out, which as Russo knows, destroys all the terpenes. Because we're also talking about polar, polar, semi-polar, non-polar, uh, and polar properties of the plant. And so if we're really talk talking about a true full spectrum oil that's been unadulterated, it wouldn't be CO2 through winterization. It wouldn't be ethanol through distillation. It wouldn't be um, a hydrocarbon uh, and then distillation. But if we talk about hydrocarbon and there, and there are good extraction methods with hydrocarbon, that's using, uh, and those monoterpenes and terpenes that we were talking about, they're also a group of hydrocarbons. So terpenes themselves are hydrocarbons. 
um, and the hydrocarbon used in the BHO extraction actually kind of binds to it. And so it's a low PSI pass. So it's gonna pass right through. And if they know what they're doing and they have a full recovery system, they're making live resin and making all these particular uh, oils. That's really a full spectrum oil if there's none of the butane left in it. But again, we have to look at ourselves and say, well, did that chemical or that solvent that passes through the plant alter the full spectrum oil? And to me, the answer is also yes. And so that then takes us to the next category of, of, of say, particular flower rosin. So we move to flower rosin, right? And so when we get to a flower rosin, similar to CO2, much less waxes. We would have eight to 12%, but we're actually gonna get a full spectrum oil out of flower rosin if we just press the flowers put them under pressure we are basically using high pressure and steam to secrete all of expel all of those oils that's a true solventless full spectrum oil will have some of the lipids and waxes in there but if we were talking about that before and we said what's the cleanest and the most accurate representation is flower rosin however <laughs> in the dabbing world if we were using that for capsules and other things it would be very good in the, in the world of where we're at, the scalability of creating that, being able to say, hey, do you have 100 pounds? Can you press 100 pounds of flowers this week to keep up? That's also very difficult. And uh, to be able to take that flower rosin, uh, it used to be a popular thing like four years ago, but then dabbers, they start using quartz and they start using puffco peaks and different things. And I'm like, man, they're leaving a bunch of stuff behind. So that's the waxes. So then we then, there's only a couple other methods, right? And then we move to hash rosin or live rosin, which then we're just separating out all the resin glands to get a full spectrum profile of the actual uh, plant. So we have to say to ourselves, there's, you know, there's a lot of terpenes. There's about 50% of the plant's terpenes are inherently in the leaf and in the surface of, of the leaf. But then the ones that we're actually desiring that we want to smoke and has the most abundant is in the heads. So just like what Jeff was talking about, these mushroom heads, I'm looking for the trichome heads. And so when we separate, we're gonna get heads and we're gonna get a little bit of the stalks in there. And so when we talk about a full spectrum from a hash rosin, we're trying to isolate the best of the fruit, right? And so I'm gonna try to pick these grades of fruit from it. And if we were talking about a lemon tree and, and the tree was ripe, you know, if you hit the tree the right time, you were able to shoulder it, boom, all the, all the lemons that come off as your first the best, the best lemons. And you kind of pick through the tree as it gets ripe and you pull those off. And so for me personally, I'm gonna to try to get all of the best fruit to make my juice from it, to make that full spectrum oil. Now, when I do that, that's where I then take it to the next level where people, like you said, there's misunderstandings where they think, oh, you're reintroducing or you're altering it. When I could get to this particular, before it gets to that oil, let's say we were able to get, um, expel all of those heads. So if we're looking at the surface of the trichome head as a grape, like, like as a grape is, I wanna remove these skins. And that is when we make hash rosin or live rosin, we're pressing it and we're, and we're keeping the skins in there, but a little bit of those skins melt in the process and it gets into live rosin or it gets into hash rosin. Not a lot, much less than flower rosin. And so we're gonna end somewhere around 3%. What all I'm doing is being able to remove those impurities and it's naturally allowing the terpenes and naturally allowing all these other cannabinoids to boost themselves. So the world of what I'm saying, deconstructing and rebuilding, it's kind of just like an easier way to educate people because it's already difficult for you guys to, 
for everyone to like follow that. And that's why I went from terpenoids to terpenes to just terps. <laughs> like it's the terps, right? Yeah. And then it's like, people were like, all right, what's your wax? Now we're like, no wax, right? <laughs> so deconstruction, people get that in their head. And it's just an artistic way of saying, hey, I'm just breaking these things out, but I'm really maintaining and preserving the thing. So for me personally, full spectrum uh, is, uh, is getting to the purest portion and trying to do a 10 to one as what Jeff's doing and some of the extracts that I'm doing, I'm even getting to a 15 to one. Mm -hmm. I like that explanation too, because <clears throat> it again focuses on the fact of how much consumer education that we all have to do as an industry. Because I mean, how many of these threads have we seen online where people are arguing about this when nobody involved in the discussion actually understands the <laughs> science, right? So, hey, so, hey, Jeff, um, you know, earlier you were talking about how um, the different varieties of mushrooms uh, play well together and and how uh, the, the uh, you know, ancient Chinese folks recognize this and they, they made these um, these these blends. When I go to uh, my acupuncturist, um, she is going to do some physical acupuncture on me. She's probably going to recommend a, a mushroom blend for me for whatever I'm looking for relief from. But then she also gives me, you know, a particular diet and foods. And um, I actually, she actually told me she wanted to learn more about terpenes too recently. And it was funny, I, I gave her a, uh, a true terpene sampler. I'm like, here, start smelling these and learn, right? But where I'm going with this is that... <clears throat> She says that mushrooms are a, uh, a type of medicine that plays well with other medicines. And, um, you know, because I pay her based on time, I couldn't get a full explanation from her. Uh, but I'm really curious to hear your insight on, on mushrooms' ability to play well with these other uh, synergistic inputs we've been talking about, like, uh, like cannabis and terpenes. Well, well, you know, you know what, Shango, there, there's actually not that much research out there on that subject specifically. The, you know, the way, the way I look about uh, at mushrooms is that they are, um, in a sense, food is medicine. So you can start out by, by just putting them in your diet. Mushrooms are kind of a forgotten food in Asia. Everybody eats mushrooms. There's like 12, 15 different species in the marketplace that, that people are eating. And this kind of too gets back to what Ethan was referring to earlier about um, products that um, actually will help with homeostasis, for example. Mushrooms are, are the perfect food and medicine in that, in that sense. They're, they're what are considered an adaptogen and adaptogens. That's kind of their role. Homeostasis, harmony. I mean, when you talk to anybody in China, Chinese medicine, uh, traditional Chinese medicine practitioners, for example, too, that's really what they're trying to do. I mean, disease, they did just look at that as you're, you're out of balance some way. So they're really trying to bring you back into balance. And so for me, that's a big part of what mushrooms do. They're, they're one of the great balancers. They're one of the, the great harmony herbs out there. And, and so in sense, you, know, you can combine them together. But the one thing you have to, to understand too, is that, is that sometimes when you put too many different uh, for example, in this case, mushroom species together, you, you end up diluting the primary species that are giving you the, the major benefits there. So, so you, you can only go so far. I mean, you know how sometimes there's a race to um, like what I call the kitchen sink products out there too. 
you know, everything in one jar. You never have to eat anything else or supplement with anything else because it's got everything you need. And it's like, well, no, thank you. Right. Um, there's a, there's a certain level where you do have a synergy or where, where putting things together makes sense. But, uh, for example, for me, uh, there are maybe five mushrooms that I would say, okay, you get up to get up to five. Don't go any further because now you're just going to, to actually lessen the benefits that you're looking for. And, and so, so really, and again, the, um, in terms of synergy, it's, it's kind of interesting because there was actually a study that was just done uh, in Australia where they were utilizing our mushroom extracts and they, they, um, uh, it was uh, testing them against a, a whole panel of uh, cytokines. And so they were, okay, what is, uh, what kind of cytokine stim stimulation do we have there? And we've got each single one, how they did. And then when they put them together, actually they got a higher level of cytokines production through the uh, putting the three together than each one individually. So there's definitely those types of benefits from putting them together, but we're still kind of uh, new in that sense there. I mean, we're not anywhere close to being what uh, Tony's doing right now, for example, with the triterpenes. I mean, uh, and, and the other thing too, getting back to just full spectrum, what, what I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to bring everything out of the the dried mushroom all of the constituents of it i don't want to leave anything behind in my extracts i mean we're not we're at the point where we're trying to build up this or build up that what we can do there is basically through the cultivar itself because different cultivars for example reishi cultivars are going to have different levels of triterpenoids um uh, a um, researcher that i saw his presentation back in there 2002 tested 12 different cultivars of reishi. The level of triterpenes was from 2 to 12%. It was just amazing. So the key thing for us is making sure that we have a cultivar that's going to give us a, a good measure of triterpenoids, which I think are really important and what sets Ganoderma or the reishi apart. Um, so I think that's very important constituent of that. We really do the, the cultivar itself and testing it to make sure our starting material when we are creating that extract is high in what we want. Right on. Thanks, Jeff. So, Ethan, you know, um, because because this panel is uh, involves cannabis, uh, chances are that a lot of the folks who end up watching it are going to be tokers, you know, people who have smoked cannabis for some or all of their life. And, um, you know, as the only medical doctor uh, on the panel today, I would like to hear your thoughts on um, alternative forms of ingesting um, these synergistic um, medicinals that we're talking about. Most of us are used to smoking our cannabis medicine in, um, in flower form. And, 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 you know, more people are getting interested in edibles, but honestly, a lot of folks are, are selling 
you know, a cookie or a gummy or something that um, is, is more like candy and maybe some companies use isolate and all this. Whereas if people are really thinking about the medicinal nature of delivery, um, capsules are a really good way to go. Um, but the thing is, I've never explained to people why that's true. I just know it's true from working with patients. So would you talk to the idea of, of taking, um, you know, these synergistic medicines in a capsule form to kind of educate people on why putting this stuff in their belly works for them? Sure. Well, let's preface this by saying that, uh, you know, I, I really don't recommend uh, smoking because of lung irritation. Vaporization is better. And in terms of getting the most bang for the buck from terpenoids, uh, vaporization or topical application that does get through the skin, uh, those are both going to be really efficient. When uh, terpenoids are taken orally, they're not going to be quite as uh, prominent. Um, they certainly will have effects. You don't lose that entirely. The effect orally is going to be better when there is a lipid carrier. In other words, uh, with a fat um, and certainly with a gel cap that is an oil base, um, you're going to get uh, good absorption of the terpenoids um, and uh, with a proper edible, uh, with a proper edible, um, there will definitely be a difference uh, that people will appreciate as compared to an isolate with just uh, cannabinoid. Right on. And so um, while we're used to, you know, smoking our cannabinoids and having it, um, you know, hit our bloodstream through our lungs, um, you're saying that when we take it as a capsule and, and, and it finds its way to our stomach, that our stomach is very effective in pulling all these apart. And while they may have a different experience, we're still getting the medicinal qualities from it. Is that a, is that a, a right a, a summation? That's true. When uh, terpenoids are taken orally, they're going to hit the liver and be metabolized somewhat faster. Uh, when they're inhaled, they're going to have the ability to go straight to the brain without passing the liver first. Uh, so again, the effect is going to be more pronounced, but with a good formulation orally, it will get absorbed and it will modulate THC and the other cannabinoids. Um, so certainly, you know, in a gummy, it's most likely going to be an isolate, just THC. You're not likely going to see a, full, a lot of full-spectrum gummies that are going to give a quality experience. Uh, and I wouldn't think of those as medicines for the most part. <laughs> cool. Thank you, Ethan. So, so we're, we're to our last question of the panel, and it's going to be the same question for everybody. So, but I want to hear all of your thoughts as we look into the future and kind of put our uh, visionary hats on. And um, as far as answering it, uh, the order, uh, I'm going to ask it first to Burner, and then Jeff, if you would jump in and answer the question, and then Ethan, we'll come to you third, and then we'll finish off with, uh, with Tony here. So this 
last question is the same for all of you, and it's about your motivations and hopes for the future uh, of synergistic medical blends, all right? So where, where we want to see our community go. While pharmaceuticals can do much good, and we've all seen the substantial amount of bad that they can do too, um, that has led to this our movement towards alternatives we are seeing now, we've been talking about today, and we all participate in. What is your vision of the future for the creation of new medicinal blends and an increase in their accessibility to patients directly? So let's go ahead and start with Burner. Yeah, I feel like um, it's our job to educate. We all had different platforms. These guys know the science of it a lot more. Um, I've been experimenting with some stuff that Tony created and it's kind of a blend on some of the stuff that we talked about today. But I've noticed a major change in my body uh, when it comes to anxiety. I've had anxiety for a very long time. I have to take Xanax to kind of calm my body down and wasn't really having the best sleep uh, because of metformin, which I take uh, because of my diabetes and whatnot. And recently just mixing um, the CBD, the CBN, and some of the mushroom blend that, that Tony has put together has really changed my life for the better a lot. And I feel like it's my job uh, that has, you know, I have a nice platform and a voice to the black and brown community and to the urban community to educate them on, on this. Uh, a lot of people think mushroom, they think um, we're getting high or they think gas station mushrooms, uh, not really real mushrooms, you know. So my, I feel like my role right now, my kind of mission and the future of uh, plant medicine is to educate, put in hands and kind of help everyone's bodies. I feel like... Uh, the CBN, I never really was up on CBN. I didn't really understand how, how important CBN is or CBG. I've just been a pothead for a long time and I've been smoking herb, but by taking daily blends, um, I've noticed a big change in my body and my sleep patterns and my anxiety. Um, and so a lot of people um, that I speak to, my audiences, deal with a lot of uh, post-traumatic stress, anxiety, pain, depression, um, sleep problems, especially the diabetics. So. You know, I think the future of, of plant medicine is educating, putting in the hands and providing real access. We don't want people to buy gas station mushrooms and have a bad experience. We don't want people to buy gas station CBD for their grandma that really needs it. Yeah. We want to provide safe, real, credible access to medicine that's helped change my life. And so I just look forward to being able to, to kind of, you know, roll this out properly and kind of just educate my people, the younger people, the, the people that don't really think that that this is a medicine or any of these things, mushroom or cannabis is a medicine. So we talked about that earlier, but that's kind of my agenda and my objective moving forward is just putting in the hands of people and letting them understand it's really good for your body, it's beneficial. And a lot of the stuff that we're prescribed, like metformin uh, or a Xanax is not the best for us long-term. Our bodies don't want that, you know? So there's there's ways that, that we can educate, put in, uh, put in the hands and just kind of like, you know, your, his education will be a lot different than mine, which would be a lot different than yours, which would be a lot different than his, but combined is very powerful. And I think we all need to play our role for sure. Right on. Thanks. So, uh, so Jeff, uh, let's get you on this. So, so where do you see the, the you know, where, where would you like to see uh, these synergistic medicinals come together going forward? Well, let me first say, um, it looks like we've got a new term that's come out of this gas station mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really a good one 
<laughs> you know, you know, it's really what's really interesting having been in in like the supplement industry for quite a while. I mean, I started growing mushrooms in 1973 commercially, so I've been doing that for a long time. But in terms of the supplement industry, I've been there since 1989 when when mushrooms were still not even in the industry at all. No company had a mushroom product and I had to really do a lot of education. But back then, the the industry was full of actual herbalists and people who were, you know, some of them actually coming out of being cannabis growers, for example. I mean, people who were really deep into it in a totally way let's say today and one of the things that's happened is is our industry has gone from what i would call products that are a little more natural a little more earthy to a pharmaceutical model and and, and a lot of that has come just from the regulations that have been put in place we we are saddled with regulations that make us adhere to a pharmaceutical model the way everything is produced in terms not necessarily the way we grow our mushrooms that's still quite quite natural but in terms of uh, processing and in terms of the the different standards that we have to meet before we can sell the product and, and that's something that i'm really kind of concerned about and so are a lot of people in in the industry because i i'm totally believe in in organic production and certified organic products and keeping with that whole whether it be regenerative agriculture or or basically staying closer to the earth and and not so much into the pharmacy so to speak those those kind of sterilized you know it, it's like it's like getting a certificate of analysis and you look at the heavy metals in there a pharmaceutical model would be um or, or the micro for example the microbiological panel zeros you know if i see zeros i think okay now somebody along the line has irradiated this or done something to it to kill off all the microbes and, and that's not a place where we really want to go so so for me um going forward what i think is really important is just maintaining that natural component of this and not getting too far away from what it's really about it's just it's just like me being in mexico back in the 70s and and you know smoking the different uh, weed from different states and and living in oaxaca and uh, the the plants that were being grown there which were just amazing uh, and and those are kind of of uh uh pot that i really love and and makes me feel feel really good so uh, again for me i think moving into the future there's a lot of things that we can do a lot of synergies that we will find especially like right now i i, I just love the fact that cookies is putting mushrooms in with their uh, cannabis products I, I just think that's you know we'll see where that goes it's really interesting to me but again the key for me is is keeping it natural keeping it close to the earth and not getting too far into that whole pharmaceutical model. Right on. Very, uh, very yeah, nice. So, Ethan, I know that you think about these, you know, synergistic products a lot with Credo Science that you founded. Um, what's your vision of the future? Sure. Well, in addition to internal projects, uh, we're really moving now into formulation. Our, our whole ethos is to make cannabis safer and better, uh, but also to extend it out uh, into combinations with these other plant-based medicines and fungal-based medicines. Um, and I very much uh, am in tune with what Jeff said. Uh, we want this to be done in a holistic, clean manner, organic, preferably through regenerative agriculture, 
So we're absolutely in support of those endeavors. Right on. So bring us home, Tony. I know you are a big thinker and kind of an alchemist philosopher. I hope I didn't put too much on you right there. But like, what, what do you see as a formulator for the direction that we should be going? So I kind of subscribe to um, what the panel is saying. I really think what Berner said is well said, as well as Jeff and, and, and Ethan. I, I subscribe to that. My mission since 96 when I got in this, I was started at 16 and 18. I had my own personal experiences with uh, different types of things that were prescribed to me that once I found cannabis in the herb, I got upset and I realized that we don't, you know, not every condition in the world, but the things that you touched on in the general basis, you know, people need their sleep, people have anxiety, people have pain, people have digestion. There's amazing breakthroughs with other types of conditions, but those are the four main major things that's going on. My mission since 1996 was to get people off of synthetic uh, opiate-based products and synthetic drugs that uh, we can bring plant-based medicine into a pharmacopoeia level of, of, of uh, grade. So I always think of plant-based, but how do we do this at a pharmaceutical level to where people will take it serious enough and understand and like just hearing what he said about the capsule is why I do what I do. You know, it, it affects me as a person and it's like why I do what I do because I just wanna be able to positively influence as many people. Uh, I think this panel and this type of synergy is gonna do tremendous education, but ultimately that's, that's the next move for the next generations. Like if we start getting caught up in synthetics, we start getting caught up in artificially trying to create experiences and things in life um we're gonna lose ourselves and so that's for me the mission is plant-based cool thank you i like uh, i like how tony finished with uh, uh suggesting that this synergy that we have created here um all experts from different fields and uh, i think i think that's a beautiful thing so in wrapping up so let's first we'll uh, we'll thank all the speakers um uh, uh, via video uh thank you jeff chilton thank you ethan russo um here in california thank you to tony versura and to burner uh i've been your uh, moderator shango los of shaping fire and thank you to all of you for tuning in and uh, learning a little bit about synergistic medicines. Thank you for being here. You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it too. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news, exclusive videos, and giveaways. On the Shaping Fire website, you will also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. Be sure to follow on Instagram for all original content not found on the podcast. That's at Shaping Fire and at Shango Los on Instagram. Be sure to check out the Shaping Fire YouTube channel for exclusive interviews, farm tours, and cannabis lectures. Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Los.